Uh, Well, let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at his word together. Uh, Father, thank you uh, that you want us to be built up in the faith. Lord, we pray that that would be our experience uh, for the next few minutes, uh, for the rest of our time this evening. Lord, please help us to be built up and ready to contend for the faith which you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uncle Sam wants you. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the poster uh, that's up on the screen behind me. Uh, It's an iconic poster printed in 1917 when the the US joined World War I uh, with the aim of getting American men to sign up for the war effort. Uh, Throughout 1917 and 1918, it was printed at least four million times. And it was such a success that when the states joined World War II a few decades later, uh, the same poster was used again to persuade men to join the fight. And you can see why it's so effective. That hard stare, that accusing finger pointing straight at you, the iconic line, I want you. Not him, not her, not them up there. I want you for the U.S. Army. It gets straight to the point, and it leaves you in no doubt whatsoever about how you're to respond. At Jude 17 to 24 is Jude's Uncle Sam moment, if you like. Now, in verses 1 to 4 of the letter at the start, he told us of the need to contend for the faith, the, the message of the gospel, against ungodly teachers who had infiltrated the church. Uh, Last week, uh, he took us on a tour through biblical history to show us the danger that false teachers pose and to teach us why contending for the faith is so important. But here, starting in verse 17, it's as if Jude turns to us, fixes us with a steely gaze, points his finger and says, I want you to contend for the faith. Contending for the faith isn't the responsibility of a select few individuals, leaders in the church, or people who are particularly gifted at apologetics or something like that. If we're Christians, we all have a part to play. But verses 17 to 24 aren't just Jude's recruitment rally. They're also his field manual for contending in the faith. He tells us how to do it. How a church is to contend for the faith? Well, point one, heed the warnings. And we're going to look at verses 17 to 19. Heed the warnings. Can you hear that urgency in Jude's voice as he writes verse 17? But you must remember, beloved. Now, this is a, a stirring instruction. He doesn't say... Um, Here's something you might want to think about, or have you reflected on? He's not British as far as we know. This is a clear and direct command, a call to action, but you must remember. And what were they to remember? Well, it seems that the apostles had sounded the warning siren to this church, telling them exactly what they were to expect. Verse 18, they, the apostles, said to you, In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. From the earliest days, the church was to expect people 
to pour scorn on the teaching of the Bible, to promote outrageously sinful behavior, all while claiming to be faithful Christians themselves. Of course, we still live in those last days, the days between Christ's resurrection and his return. So we're not to be surprised when we hear exactly the same things happening in the church today. We aren't to be surprised, we are to be prepared. The message of the Bible, both Old Testament, as we saw last week, and New Testament, is be on guard, be ready to contend for the faith. Wouldn't we be foolish not to heed that warning? To get complacent, put our feet up and think, well, this sort of thing could never happen in our church. Well, it could happen. And Jude says it's your responsibility to make sure it doesn't happen. From senior minister to brand new member, Jude says it's down to you. So how do we do it? Point two, keep the faith, verses 20 to 23, and we'll be spending most of our time in these verses this evening. Now, hearing Jude's call to contend for the faith, uh, we might be tempted to roll up our sleeves and start looking for a fight. But Jude surprises us in verse 20. According to him, contending doesn't start with us you know, going out there and looking for a bust-up, but by taking seriously what happens in here, in the church. Verses 20 to 23 are full of instructions on how to contend but we could sum them all up like this. Contending for the faith means the whole church striving to ensure their whole life together is marked by faithful teaching and godly living. The whole church striving to ensure their whole life together is marked by faithful teaching and godly living. Now, in verses 20 to 21, uh, we're given four ways. We're to promote the health of the church. Good news, none of them are complicated. None of them are beyond any Christian's ability to do. Uh, Jude gives us four ins. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Right, you'll have to give me that last one for free, but you get the point, don't you? If that sounds like the bread and butter of the Christian life, that's because it is. Importantly, these basics were exactly the opposite of what the false teachers were doing and teaching others to do. Jude starts his field manual with a picture the picture of a glorious building. It's big, it's magnificent, it has that wow factor, but it's not finished. It's a picture of us, the church, Duke Street Church. We're a glorious, magnificent building, but we're still under construction. Jude tells us we're to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Contending for the faith means building one another up in the gospel. 
helping one another to grow in our knowledge of God's word and our understanding of it. Helping one another to believe the gospel more and more and to live it out more and more as well. That's certainly not the attitude the false teachers had to the gospel. They were twisting it, perverting it, we're told, for their own cause, making it say, well, just whatever they wanted it to say to justify their wickedness. No, says Jude, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Then Jude tells us to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, we might get a little bit tripped up here by that phrase, praying in the Spirit. Does Jude mean something mystical here, something unusual, a specific type of prayer? Now, I think the answer is no. I think he just means Christian prayer. And the reason I think that is because he's using it to show another contrast with the false teachers. Flick your eyes up to the end of verse 19. He describes those false teachers as devoid of the Spirit. The Spirit has nothing to do with them. But in contrast, Christians, God's people, have God's Spirit living within us. So when we pray, we always pray in the Spirit. Now, there's so much we could say about praying as a church and the importance of prayer in church life. Fortunately, Simon said most of it this morning. Uh, So I would really encourage you, uh, if you didn't hear the sermon this morning, go to our YouTube channel, go to our podcast on Spotify, and catch up on Simon's sermon from this morning, The Church at Prayer. It was really stirring stuff. And it fits just with what Jude says here. Praying in the Holy Spirit is to be a mark of a contending church. Uh, Next, we're told to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, at this moment, our ears might prick up. Now, in verse 1, Jude describes Christians as kept for Jesus Christ. And in the most famous verses of the book of Jude, which we're about to get to in a few minutes, he describes God as the one who is able to keep you from falling. So, uh, are we kept by God, or do we need to keep ourselves? Jude says... Yes, keeping ourselves in God's love, don't get Jude wrong, it doesn't mean earning his love or making sure we deserve it. We never could. But it does mean making sure we don't reject his love and walk away from the salvation he offers us. And he's right in line with the Lord Jesus here, who said this to his disciples, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide, you will stay, you will live in my love. Obedience to the Lord Jesus is so important. It's crucial. And churches that contend for the faith will be full of Christians whose lives are marked by obedience to him. Christians who deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him, whatever the cost. And finally, we're to do all of this, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, waiting doesn't sound like it fits very much with contending, does it? Contending's a very active word. It's, it's a strenuous word, bringing to mind uh, hard graft and effort. Uh, waiting is the, the sort of thing you do at the bus stop 
passively staring into the middle distance, really hoping that bus turns up eventually, maybe every so often looking at your watch and huffing. But that's not the sort of waiting that Jude has in mind here. This is an active sort of waiting. The sort of waiting you might do when you're looking forward to the holiday of a lifetime, counting down the days, making sure everything's packed and ready, saving up your spending money, looking at pictures of all the places you're going to visit when you get there. You just can't wait, but you do. That's how we're to wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. What does that look like for a church? It means making that day our great focus together. It means encouraging one another to live in the light of Christ's return. Believing that no matter what this world thinks of us, that no matter what it tells us we're missing out on by following Jesus, no matter how much pain it puts us through as we seek to live faithful lives to him, that it will all be worth it in the end when our Savior returns to take us to be with him forever. Now that's something worth thinking about, isn't it? Hold that thought as we're coming back to it in a few moments. For now, let's carry on with Jude. So far, he's given us a list of very positive things that contending involves. There is another side to the coin, though. Contending for the faith will also mean confronting false teaching and ungodly living in the church. By the time Jude wrote this letter, you saw at the start, didn't you, that false teachers had already crept in through the window and their damaging message and ungodly lifestyles were spreading like gangrene, a deadly infection growing throughout the church. Christians were being ensnared. It seems some were were thinking about abandoning the faith. Some had already started to uh, live in the light of the false teachers and their message, living sinful lifestyles of their own. And according to Jude, this is a problem. In fact, it's what spurred him on. Do you remember from the start of the letter, he, he was going to write about their common salvation, but he found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude had to take action, and he's saying the church does too. False teaching and ungodly living in the church must cause contending Christians to take action. And throughout verses 22 and 23, Jude seems to be giving us a sort of, a sort of triage of how we're to respond to people in the church going through various stages of being taken in by false teaching and ungodly living. Look at verse 22. We're told, have mercy on those who doubt. Perhaps these were Christians who had heard the message of the false teachers and they were wavering. They were going backwards and forwards on whether to follow them, whether to believe their message or stick with the gospel as the apostles had taught it. Now Jude says, don't, excuse me, don't ignore people like that, but don't come down on them like a ton of bricks either. Have mercy on them. And so church life isn't supposed to be like the Salem witch trials, you know, constant scrutiny, accusation, punishment for the most minor infringements of doctrine or practice. In fact, doubt is a very normal part of the Christian life. And church should be a place where we can 
express our doubts to one another without fear of judgment, where we can help one another to believe God's word where we can. We should have mercy on those who doubt. But there will be times when things go beyond doubt and questioning and turn to outright rejection of God's word. And when a church member falls into a a deliberate pattern of sin, we need to take drastic action. Churches that contend for the gospel won't brush their brother's sin under the carpet or treat it as just a private matter. They'll see the danger their sister is in and warn her, pleading with her to repent. Now, for 21st century Westerners, this will sound particularly unpalatable. Uh, We live in a day and age where the worst sin imaginable is to accuse someone else of being a sinner. Isn't it more loving to just accept one another for who we are? Jude helps us to think rightly about that approach in verse 23. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Shows us how serious this is. Most of you know uh, that I live in a flat that is just uh, sort of above the church, above the church car park, in fact. Um, You may have passed it uh, when you came in. Um, You might pass it when you go home. Um, Imagine you're leaving church one night. You've stayed a little bit later. uh, And as you leave church through the quadrant road door, you start to smell that unmistakable, acrid smell of smoke. And you look up and you see that my kitchen curtains are fully ablaze. Now, I really hope you love me enough not to just walk on by. I really hope you care enough about me to make a fuss, to run up the stairs, to bang on the door and say, get out! That's the sort of thing we're doing when we confront sin in one another. If you ever see a brother or sister falling into a lifestyle of sin, remember that the most loving thing you can do is warn them of the danger they're in. And if another Christian ever has that conversation with you and you find yourself on the end of that warning, remember they're doing it because they love you. When those dangers are ignored, when those warnings are ignored, when a Christian departs from the gospel and lives in a way which is marked by deliberate and unrepentant sin, a church may need to take even more drastic action. The more serious step of church discipline, to say to someone, you can't be a member of the church any longer while you continue to live like this. It sounds horrible and judgmental. But given what's at stake, it is the most loving thing a church can do. It's to be a radical wake-up call, to show someone the the seriousness of their actions, always hoping for repentance, longing to restore that person to membership if they turn from their sin. Perhaps this aspect of contending for the faith is making you feel really, really uncomfortable. And you really wish Jude hadn't written these words. Jude says that unrepentant sin in the church is what should make us feel really uncomfortable. And the image he uses at the end of verse 23 
is designed to help us to feel the right way about sin in the church. To others, show mercy, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Uh, Imagine you're invited around to the Goddard residence for lunch next week, and we pull out all the stops. We put on a great spread for you, uh, roast chicken, all the trimmings. Uh, You're sitting in our lounge and you're smelling all the lovely smells from the oven, you're salivating, you can't wait to tuck in, and we call you to the table, you come through, and wait a minute, oh, what's that smell? You look down, and square in the middle of the dining table is a dirty nappy, fresh and reeking. Let me tell you, we've got enough around. We don't keep them on the kitchen table. Uh, What would you do if we did? What would you do in that situation? Would you just ignore it, you know, sit down, reach over it to get the gravy? Of course not. It's filthy, isn't it? And it needs to be dealt with. Sin in the church is like an unclean nappy at the dinner table. It shouldn't be there. It doesn't belong there. It's unhealthy, and someone needs to deal with it urgently. Do you want Duke Street to be a church that contends for the faith? then be a Christian who hates sin and is willing to confront it. Now, perhaps at this point, you feel like one of those World War I recruits, uh, but you're not any longer in the recruitment office with the nice posters. Uh, You've joined the fight, you're in the trenches, and you're knee-deep in mud with a rifle in hand about to be sent over the top. And you feel scared. And it is scary. But in the last sentences of his letter, Jude assures us that we don't need to be afraid. You see, the battle is already won. For now, Jude says, trust the keeping God, verses 24 and 25. And these words, they're a shot in the arm for weary contenders. They give us what we need to keep contending today, tomorrow, And right until the end, that Jude points us to God, the God who is able to keep you. That Jude wants us to think of God as a guard, a heavily armed soldier, ready to protect us from any danger that comes near us. Is that how you think of God? I don't know if you've ever seen uh, one of those videos that sometimes uh, does the rounds on social media of uh, tourists at Buckingham Palace Uh, wanting to get a photo uh, with the beef eaters. No, they look like they belong on a chocolate box, don't they? Those bright red uniforms and uh, big fuzzy hats. Uh, And the thing that happens is some tourist uh, kind of gets too close, looking to snap a selfie, and suddenly the guard snaps to attention and shouts out a warning, and the tourist is absolutely petrified. Suddenly, they're not uh, faced with that chocolate box image anymore, but a trained and armed soldier who's guarding royalty. Isn't it easy to have a chocolate box view of God? He's so cuddly, you know. That's how the world thinks of him. Jude here is telling us to have a very different view. He's a soldier, a guard, a fierce warrior, and he's constantly watching over his people. He is able to to keep us. And it's a good thing too, because what's he keeping us from? 
now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Don't have in mind here a little trip, a stubbed toe, feeling a little bit silly and embarrassed. Jude's talking about something much more serious. God is able to keep us from falling away from the faith, from falling into utter destruction like those false teachers had done. Isn't it comforting that God is able to keep us from falling like that? Of course we need to hear Jude's challenge to to keep ourselves in God's love. But we need just as much to cling on to his encouragement that God is the one who will keep us. We need to be constantly vigilant so that we don't fall away from the truth of the gospel. And we need to constantly rest in the security that God has his mighty guarding hand on us. He's able to keep us from falling. And what's he keeping us for? The most wonderful future imaginable. To present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine that about yourself. All of us in this room have things we're deeply ashamed of. I don't even need to know you to know that about you. We all have things that if others knew them about us, we wouldn't be able to look them in the eye. God knows every single one of the terrible things that you've done and thought and said, and even more that you're not aware of. If he were to hold our sin against us, none of us could stand. But because he sent his son to save us, because Jesus took our sin paid the price, and gave us his perfect record, we can look forward to a day when we're brought into God's glorious presence and have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. If you're following the Lord Jesus, you can look forward to a day when God will look at you and see nothing but perfection and radiant purity. What a day that will be. A day full of joy. And the best thing about it is that our joyful blamelessness, it won't just last for a moment and then we'll mess it all up again. But in God's grace and power, we will live before God with no guilt or shame or stain of sin forever. It's an amazing future because we have an amazing God. Jude points us to God and reminds us, verse 25, he's the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And as we stand in the trenches with our knees knocking together, contending for the faith, Jude says, remember, he's with you. Remember, he's going to bring you home. So trust the keeping God and contend for the faith. Let's pray. We've come to the end of Jude's letter. uh, So let's take a moment in silence. Take something to the Lord that he's particularly said to you either tonight or over the last few weeks. Uh, Speak to him about it now in your heart.
Father, we thank you that you love us enough uh, to say things that we often don't want to hear. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to love you enough to obey your word and to contend for the faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.